Well, amen. I 100% agree uh, with what Pastor Greg just talked about. It's amazing how God works. I was standing there thinking, man, that's a powerful song to think about laying, like telling God I'm laying it down and it's yours. Now, that's really hard for us. And so I appreciate Pastor Greg's words there. Uh, This morning, uh, as I said, I sat down and I looked over to Sandra and I said, I think I said I'm excited like 37 times when I was doing announcements. And I don't know where that came from. But just so you know, I actually am excited to be here today. Uh, So that wasn't just fluff, you know, just saying those kind of things. Um, But this morning, we're going to kind of follow up to a message we shared a couple weeks ago. And if you weren't with us, that's totally fine. Um, A couple weeks ago at Unity Fest, uh, we shared a a message there. And I want to kind of follow up to that in a way. And so at Unity Fest, which was a couple weeks ago, our outdoor service here, uh, we talked about the reality that heaven is real. And all God's people said, I mean, we praise God that heaven is real. It is a real place. It is a location. It is not a mindset. It's not a way of living in this life, like trying to live a heaven-type mindset. It is a place. It is a destination. And we talked about a couple weeks ago that heaven is real. It's going to be a a beautiful place as far as what Scripture reveals to us. It's going to be a place of worship, a place of wonder, a place where our Savior, our God, is. And we're going to be before his throne just worshiping him. It's going to be an amazing, amazing place. But we also talked about the reality that, yes, heaven is real. But if we go to Scripture, which we always want to go to the Word of God, my opinions are faulty, your opinions are faulty, but the Word of God is true. This never changes. This is our foundation for everything we believe. Everything we believe about our God, everything we believe about what He wants for us in this life, how we live this life. Why is it that we would sing a song as a church that says, I lay down my life. I bring a sacrifice and that sacrifice is laying down my life. Well, the Bible tells us, Romans 12, 1 and 2, that he asked us, bring yourselves, your actual bodies and lay them down as a sacrifice, a living sacrifice for Christ, for our God. And so we talk about the Bible. What does the Bible actually say about heaven? Well, the first thing we have to note about heaven is heaven is real. But not for everyone. And that's the part we struggle with. When I say heaven is not for everyone, we talked about this. Heaven is not for the religious that think they're going to get there on their own good works. Heaven is not for the proud who think, I don't need a savior. I'm good. I don't even need religion. I'm such a good person. I don't even need to go to church. I don't need religion. I don't need to do good works. I'm just good enough in myself that God will just accept me because I am good enough in my pride. You see, heaven is real, but it's not for everyone. It's not for the religious and the proud. It's for the repentant sinner who trusts Christ. See, heaven is for the repentant sinner, the one that would realize their sin, their brokenness, their fallenness and say, no, I, I know that I am not good enough. And in that reality, that moment, I come before Christ and hearing of the gospel and hearing that he died on the cross for my sins and hearing that if I just trust in him and believe that he would forgive me of all my sin, past, present, future, and I can know him. You know, the most amazing thing about salvation is not that we know God. That's pretty amazing that we can know him. I mean, really know him through his word and through the relationship with the Holy Spirit. But the most amazing thing in salvation is that he chooses to know us. And he says, you are my enemies, but in Christ, you are now my sons and daughters. You see, heaven is real, 
but not for everyone. It's not for the religious and the proud. It's for the repentant, humbled sinner who says, I know I've sinned and fallen short. See, heaven is real, but not for everyone. But it can be. It can be. If we would trust in him, it can be. And so in that same vein this morning, I was thinking through, okay, so if heaven's not for everyone, because there are certain people that if they don't trust Christ, the Bible says, let me say this again. The Bible says, not Pastor John says, not Baptist Church says, not this denomination says, the Bible says, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. That's Jesus' words, not, not my words. See, heaven is real, but not for everyone. But it can be. It can be if we would trust Christ. And so in that same thinking this morning, got me thinking, who is church for? If heaven is not for everyone, only those who are in Christ and, and repentant, humbled sinners can enter into heaven, then who is his church for? Well, the reality is, and the wonder is, the Bible reveals to us, the church is for everyone. Church, our gathering this morning is for everyone. You see, anyone and everyone can be here this morning. There's no financial requirement to get in the door. Nobody's at the door checking dress code. Okay, it's not a black tie affair. I don't even know if they have those anymore nowadays, but if they do, it's not one of those. We don't check and make sure. Are you tithing like you're supposed to be tithing? Are you doing this or that? Now, again, I've said it before. We'll take your tithe, but we're not requiring that, okay? You want to write a check to the church, praise God. We'll take it. We'll cash it. It'll be great. But we're not asking that you have to do that to get in the door. There's no admission fee. See, it's for everyone. This time that we get to gather and worship him is for everyone. In the hope that in allowing everyone to come into the church, everyone will hear the gospel. And everyone will be saved and receive Christ and find heaven their home for eternity. You see... Who is church for? Well, the reality is church is for everyone. And I think we really need to believe this as believers, as followers of Christ this morning. We need to know that church is for everyone. If you're here this morning and you don't know Christ as your Lord and personal Savior, this time is for you. As much as it is the person next to you that maybe has gone here for 30 years. This time is for all of us that would gather together to get before his word and to hear what God has for us. You can open your Bibles this morning, and I have to say, as we get ready to do that, um, we were so blessed. Uh, something I've been wanting to do for a while is provide uh, Bibles in the seats. Uh, believe it or not, as a church, we've never really had Bibles in the seats. Um, and so we were kind of looking into those, talking about those, the finance of those, and all of that, the cost of those. And in talking to somebody in the church, there was a couple in the church that said, just tell me how much and I'll take care of it. And so if you see the Bibles and the seats in front of you, those were provided by someone in the church, and we're so thankful for that. Because the Word of God is our foundation. And so if you are using one of the Bibles and the seats in front of you, that's just a huge, huge praise. And so what I want to do is I'm going to tell you the passage, and then what I'm going to try to get in the habit of doing is if somebody's here that's not familiar with the Word of God, please don't feel weird about that. It's okay. If maybe you've never really even looked in the Bible before or had to find a book of the Bible. So what we're going to do is I'm going to give you the passage. And then if you're using the Bibles and the seats in front of you, I can give you the page number that they're actually, uh, that passage is actually on. And so uh, Luke chapter five and verse 18 is where we're going to start. If you're using the Bibles in front of you, that's page 719. So page 719 is the page. If you're using the Bibles and the seats in front of you, if you're not using one of those Bibles, I have no idea what page 
Luke chapter 5 is for you. In my Bible, it's page 742. So it's a little different. Uh, but Luke chapter 5, verse 18, again, 719 is the page number for using the Bibles provided. And I want to look at this passage, and I want to take the principle of this passage, the heart of this passage, and apply it to what we're talking about this morning, that church is for everyone. And I think we need to really believe that and apply that to our lives. Luke chapter 5 and verse 18. The Bible says this, And behold, men brought in a bed a man which was taken with palsy. And they sought means to bring him in and to lay him before him. Before who? Before Christ. And when they could not find by what way they might bring him in because of the multitude, they went upon the housetop that's up on the roof and let him down through the tiling with his couch into the midst before Jesus. Now, the King James says the word couch. Don't think like couch, like couch, couch, right? Like, like a couch. That would be pretty... That's a lot of work. I mean, I love that they did this, and we'll talk about that, but that's a lot of work. It's just basically the bed that he's on, okay? He goes on to say this in verse 20. And when he saw their faith, he said unto him, Man, thy sins are forgiven thee. And the scribes and the Pharisees, who love to criticize and critique and open their mouths, that's not in the text, that's my just commentary on the passage. It says, And then the scribes and the Pharisees began to reason, saying, Who is this which speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? Are they, are they wrong there that only God can forgive sins? No, only God can forgive sins because only God is the perfect one sinless. And again, this is why I don't need to go to a human being to get my sins forgiven. There's only one person I can go to and have my sins forgiven, and that's the person, the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the, the mediator, the Bible says, the go-between, between us and the Father. So when we call out to Christ, he is the one, the only one, that can forgive our sins. Verse 22. And when Jesus perceived their thoughts, that's, I can't read that without noting, that's a very either encouraging or concerning passage for you as you sit here today. And when Jesus perceived their thoughts, he answering said unto them, What reason ye in your hearts? Whether it is easier to say, thy sins be forgiven thee, or say, rise up and walk. But that they may know that the Son of Man has power upon earth to forgive sins. So he's talking to them in that moment, this, this group of Pharisees who thought it in their heads. They thought it in their hearts, and they're like, man, who is this guy? Jesus turns and goes, why are you thinking that? <laughs> That's a scary thought, again, for me, okay? Because there's lots of times I think things, I'm sure Jesus is like, mm, shouldn't think that, right? Check your heart. Okay, so goes on to say this. Verse uh, 24. But that you know the Son of Man has power upon the earth to forgive sins. He said unto the sick of palsy. So he transitions now to this gentleman that is sick. I say unto thee, arise, take up thy couch, and go into thine house. And immediately he rose up before them and took up that whereon he lay and departed to his own house, glorifying God. And they were all amazed and they glorified God and they and were filled with fear, saying, we have seen strange things today. And that fear, some people go, well, that's just reverence. That's reverence of God. That's what the word fear means. Well, yes, in most ways, when we talk about the fear of God, it is, we would use the word reverence or respect or honor. But I'm going to tell you right now, if I was in the room, and this guy got carried, I'm sorry, lowered in, <laughs> And Jesus says this whole back and forth and goes, get up and walk. And the guy just gets up and walks out. Yeah, there'd be some respect, but there'd be some real fear too. Like, 
who is this man? Like, what power does this man have that he just literally said, get up, and the guy just got up? So yes, it's reverence, it's respect, it's honor. But I think there needs to be a sense of humility. Like, the, like that who is this man? Because I can't do that. I've never seen that before. And they say, man, they, they feared God, they glorified God by the things they saw that day. I know Pastor Greg prayed before we started today, this message part of the service, but let's pray again and ask God to affirm these things in our hearts and minds. Father, we thank you, Lord, for this morning. Again, Lord, just all the worship and the praise and all that we've taken part in already has been so great. And I just pray that we continue to keep, to keep looking to you this morning, to look to you to teach us and instruct us and, and to lead us and guide us. Lord, I genuinely thank you for every single person seated here today. Every person in every chair, Lord, you, you knew they would be there. And I pray that if they don't know you as their Savior, that they wouldn't trust in religion or in religious works and good works. Maybe their parents were believers in Christ and, and maybe they're trusting in their parents' faith to save them. I pray, Lord, if there's anyone that falls under any of those categories, that they would know today that they for themselves can trust you as Savior. That they for themselves can cry out and ask you to forgive them of their sins. Small sins, great sins, however we label them, Lord, it's still sin. It's still something we've said, done, or thought that displeases you, that breaks your perfect law. And so I pray that if there's anyone here today that is in that position, Lord, that they would cry out to you, ask you to forgive them of their sins, to believe and trust that you died on the cross for them, that were buried and rose again. Lord, it's not about being perfect. It's not about cleaning ourselves up to get to you. It's about just coming before you. And you receive us just as we are. And so thank you for your great love for us. Help us to apply what we read today and what we learn today to our hearts and into our lives. And we ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen. So this is honestly one of my favorite passages. I referenced it over the years. But I want to talk about a certain aspect of this that I find really encouraging and powerful for our talk today about who church is for. The first thing we have to note if you're taking notes, and if you're unable to take notes this morning, if you want a copy of my notes, just shoot me a message, email me, Facebook me, whatever. I'd love to give you a, either a paper or a digital copy of my notes that you would have for your own personal study. But, but the first thing we have to note is that, is that they realized something, that they knew Jesus could make a difference. They knew Jesus, meaning the men that brought this man to Jesus, they knew Jesus could make a difference. And as I was thinking over the title for the message this morning, I came up with a title and I wrote it down and then I typed it into the, the outline. And then I thought, well, with today's climate, maybe this isn't a good topic or I mean a good title for the sermon. But the best I came up with was be a carrier. Now, I know that brings up a whole different thought life right there, but, but we're going to go with it. Okay, we're just going to play off that. But we're going to be a carrier this morning in the context of what we're saying, okay? Um, wash your hands and all that stuff, of course, but that's not what we're talking about. So they knew Jesus could make a difference. And because they knew Jesus could make a difference, they were committed to getting this man to Jesus. These friends were committed to getting this man to Jesus. These men show up at the house where this service really is going on where Jesus is teaching and all of this. And, and what's the condition of the crowd at the house? It's what? It's packed, right? 
It's so packed. It's just people are just pouring out of every opening. I mean, it's just, there's people everywhere. I love that, that Mark's gospel, which is another account of this story, Mark's gospel points out that it was so crowded that there wasn't even room outside the doorway. So you've got everyone in the doorways, but if you were to stand outside the doorway and try to see, you're still not going to see because there's even people crowded in the doorways outside the house. It's just literally people everywhere. Now, and the question we have to ask is, what kind of people were these that came? Well, we know that there were sinners there, at least the one on the couch or the bed, right? Because he got forgiven his sins. We know there's the religious crowd there, right? The ones, the Pharisees and the scribes, because they're there to critique or criticize or watch over Jesus and try to catch him breaking a law or breaking a commandment. But then we just know there was just regular people there, right? Isn't this a safe assumption that there was just regular people? The disciples are there, right? Who are the early followers of Christ. You've got the religious there. You've got just the crowd, maybe the curious crowd that just wanted to see what was going on. They've heard of Jesus and they're just like, what's this guy all about? You've got some that maybe have heard stories of Jesus and they're coming because they really want to believe. And then you've got these guys that bring their friend who's sick, in need of healing. So you've got those that are brokenhearted and defeated because of whatever physical ailment they have. See, and I, I love this picture because to me, although the word church isn't used here, I believe if we go into the New Testament and we read the book of Acts and the foundation of the church, we read the epistles, all these letters, right? First Corinthians, second Corinthians, first uh, and second Timothy, Philippians, Colossians, all these New Testament letters were written to churches. And when you put that all together, I think what we see here in Luke five is a church service. I think we see kind of the early kind of example of what a church service is supposed to be. Where Jesus is front and center. It's all about him and all about his words and his power. And then we, the curious crowd, maybe the religious that grew up in certain churches and never really believed, but we have a lot of religious knowledge and we know things about religion and then we know about God, but we don't really know God. And we come to church maybe today to critique Jesus or to criticize him. And I know no one here has ever prayed a critical prayer of God, right? No one's ever criticized God in their prayer life. No one's ever said to God, God, why would you do this or that? You should have done this or that. We won't admit it in church because, you know, you got to say spiritual things. But I'll tell you as a pastor, I've prayed many times. I've said, God, seriously, why won't you just do it my way? I mean, obviously, I know what needs to happen here. So wherever you are and whatever brings you today, I love this example because I see that everyone is just welcome to come. Now, Jesus doesn't condone any sin. Jesus doesn't compromise his message for the crowd. He, in fact, allows everyone to come and preaches the same message he's been preaching all along and continues to preach. See, church is for everyone, but we don't change the word for anyone. Let me say that again. Church is for everyone, but we don't change the word for anyone, myself or anyone else. Man, there's times in my life I've made some foolish, hurtful decisions. I've hurt myself and others and things I've said and done. And then I go to God's word and God's word convicts and, and, and helps comfort in the same breath. It's like, are we reading scripture? I'm like, Man, I know I shouldn't have said done or whatever that. And then God's word instantly reminds me, but there's grace. Just repent, turn from that and find grace. And so church is for everyone, but God's word is changed for no one. But these men, they were committed. They wanted to get him to Jesus. And I love this example of really what the church can be. And by the way, I would love if our church one day, if God would allow this, 
that by preaching Jesus, and I believe Jesus can do it, and we get on board with what Jesus is doing, I believe our church can be this example here where people are just crowded into every doorway. And not because of the preacher, and not because of the praise band, and not because of a program, but because of Jesus. Because people are just so hungry to get their needs met in Christ. Listen, I'll tell you guys, I think we have the best children's teachers and leaders as far as any church I know of. I think we have the best praise team, by the way. I loved it a few, maybe it was like two months ago, we were driving in the car or something and a radio, or the radio was playing a song and it was one of the boys, I forget who, but they said, man, our praise band does this song better than the radio. And I was so tempted to be like, Pastor Keith, you're not going to believe what I just heard, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> of course, I think they may have said Jeff does this song better. Now that I have to critique that a little bit, it might have been just Jeff that was isolated in that one. I can say that he's not here. He, his head gets real big. But anyway. I think we have a great church. I really do. But I don't think I want anyone coming here because of those things. Man, I think we have a great Savior. And he is the one. The Bible says what? Lift me up and I will draw all men. All men will be drawn. Now, what those men, once they're drawn to Christ, decide to do with Christ is up to them. That's their choice. All we're called to do is lift up Christ and make sure everyone knows church is for everyone. You see, they get to this house. It's so crowded, they can't even get in. And so what do they do? This is a challenge. This is an obstacle. This is a difficulty to get this man to Christ. This challenge might cause some to turn back. It might cause some to pick a better time. But these men were so committed because they understood the desperate need the man had for Jesus. They were so committed because they believed this man was in desperate need of Jesus. Nothing was going to stop them from getting him to Christ. So the question we have to ask ourselves is, are we as passionate and motivated to get others to Christ as these men were? Or when it looks like there might be some challenges, some difficulties, maybe the conversation might be a little awkward. Do we just give up? We just quit. And just say, well, I'll just pick a better time. I'll wait till later. If we truly believed and knew, as the word says we should, the desperate need that people have in our world today to get to Jesus, it would motivate us to get them to Jesus. Man, listen, our world needs Christ. By the way, that's been true since Genesis chapter 3. They've, we've needed God since the fall. The minute that Eve ate of that fruit and gave to her husband and him like a dope, 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 okay, I'll eat the fruit too. He eats the fruit, right? Great job, Adam. Good job. Way to ruin it for everybody. Ever since that moment, we needed him. We needed his forgiveness, his grace, and his mercy. See, we think, oh, the world's so bad right now. Listen, it is getting crazy out there. I'm not going to lie. Some weird things going on in our world today. Things I don't like, I'm not happy with. But the need of Christ has, is not new. It's not like 50 years ago, well, we kind of needed Jesus then, but not nearly like we need Jesus now. Oh, no, no, we need Jesus just as much as always. And so these men believed and were motivated by the simple fact of getting this man to Christ. Now I can tell you, as I talk about being motivated in this way, I have not been in my Christian life as passionate as these, men's, these men were. I've allowed challenges to distract me from my commitment. I've allowed difficulties and, and 
inconvenience to distract me from my, my commitment. But the key is for all of us to realize that we were allowing that to happen, repent of it, and ask the Lord for strength and to keep our mission at the forefront of our minds. To keep our mission at the forefront of our minds. See, these men had carrying faith, if you will. They had carrying faith. That is, they put their faith into action. They put their faith into action. Let's go back to the text for just a moment. So verse 19. And when they could not find by what way they might bring him in because of the multitude. And that word multitude in scripture just refers to the crowd. And again, as I said, it's a, it's a multitude made up of different types of people. Um, and so that's when the word multitude is used there. It usually means a large crowd of various backgrounds. Religious, non-religious, Jews, um, those that would be, you know, not even in the Jewish faith, but not necessarily Gentiles, but just kind of in the middle there. There were sometimes Greeks that came. And the scripture calls them barbarians. And so we see here these different groups of people coming in. It says, they went up on the housetop and let him down through the tiling with his couch into the midst before Jesus. And when he saw their faith, he said unto him, man, thy sins are forgiven thee. We read scripture sometimes. We just read right through it and we go, okay, yeah, they had faith. Their faith. Whose faith? We could say, some people have made this about the four men, or we believe there was four men. The men that were with them, right? We make it about them. And then as though the guy on the bed had no faith. He was just going along for the ride. I don't think that's what the word says. I think it's implying all of them had faith. I think the man that needed to be healed had faith and the men carrying the man to Jesus had faith. And this scripture says right here, Jesus saw their faith. They all had faith, that carrying faith. They put it into action. They knew if they could just get this man to Jesus, that Jesus would do something about his situation. Now that faith alone changes our perspective. If we truly believe that just going to Jesus, either individually for ourselves or helping others to get to Christ, we believe that changes something because Jesus will do something. And that change isn't necessarily a change of our circumstance. Sometimes we go to Christ and we pray for healing and God heals by taking them to heaven. Sometimes we go to Christ and we pray for healing and God heals them miraculously this side of heaven. But whatever it is that God chooses to do, the faith that we're exhibiting to him is not saying, I believe if you do this, this, and this. It's, I believe, I'm asking you to do this, but whatever you do, I still believe. It's putting it into action. It's saying, I believe this. And guess what? When we think that way, it changes our perspective of our lives. It changes how we see other people, how we see our spouse, how we see our children. It changes something when we believe, man, if we just go to Jesus, something will happen. He will do something. Maybe not the something I want, but he can change the situation for his glory. Now, these men in Luke chapter 5, we see an example of carrying faith. Now, if you go over a couple of chapters, a couple of books, rather, um, you don't need to turn there for time's sake, but if you were to go over to Acts chapter 3, Acts chapter 3, we see an example here of some other men with some carrying faith. Acts chapter 3, we see a man that uh, is, is, again, uh, has an ailment, a physical ailment. He needs to be healed. And so he's brought to the gate and he's laid before the, the gate to beg for alms or to ask for handouts. And as he's there, he's begging. Uh, Peter and John come along and he asks them for money. And Peter says, I don't have silver. I don't have gold. What I do have, I'll give you. And that's Jesus. 
And he heals this man. This man is healed. He gets up in that moment. He is healed. And the Bible says that he worships God. He glorifies God. His life was changed forever because of what Peter and John, the message that they gave this man who was laying at the gate. And we think about that. We think how amazing that is that Peter and John were able to be a part of that. But there's a part of that story that I have to emphasize. And that's Acts chapter 3 verse 2. And it says, and there was a certain man lame from his mother's womb was carried. There was a certain man lame from his mother's womb. He could not walk from birth and he was carried and laid at the gate. You see, we think about the healing. We think about the forgiving of sins. We think about all these things that happened. But we have to focus on these men in Luke 5 and Acts 3 that had carrying faith. They just had a consistency and a commitment to making sure these individuals got where they needed to go. And what is most powerful to me is that these men in Luke 5 and Acts 3 are unknown to us. We don't know their names. Their names aren't recorded in Scripture. And yet it was their faithfulness to do the work, to carry these individuals, to be consistent, to be committed, that led them not only to being healed physically, but also spiritually. See, it was the men that were willing to do the work every day. Bring this man out, lay him there. Go back and get him. Bring him back out and lay him there. And that consistency and that commitment to the work led to that man being healed physically and spiritually. Luke chapter 5, we see these men that believed that Christ could do something. And they put in the work and they carried this man to Christ. We don't know their names, but we know their impact. We don't know their names, but we know their impact. And my prayer for all of us, my encouragement is, may that be our desire in the world today for Christ. That as followers of Christ, those who have trusted Christ as Savior, that our desire would be not that our names be remembered. Not that our legacies be remembered. But that our impact for Christ in others' lives resound for his glory. And may it not be that we build a kingdom that we are remembered. Our legacy is remembered. Our honor. Our glory. But may it be that our names are forgotten. But the impact that Christ used us to make resounds for his glory. That those that know Christ will hear and tell of others who will know Christ. So how do we follow the example of these men? I have to go quickly. We've got a lot going on. I told my wife we'd probably be done about four minutes ago. But it's okay. She's not in here, so she doesn't know that. She's at the junior church kids. So I'm just going to blame y'all, okay? Today at lunch, she's gonna be like, I thought you said you guys would be done at 1135. Well, you know, the congregation, they just wouldn't stop talking. They're just so talkative, you know. So how do we follow the example of these men? Let me give you a couple examples quickly. So the first thing we do is we help others get to Jesus, not get in their way. We help others get to Jesus, not get it in their way. You can write it down for note's sake. Acts chapter 15, verse 19. It's an amazing story. Really the first church business meeting that takes place in the book of Acts. Um, but what we want to remember is that, that there are those who are looking for Christ, who are looking to know him, but don't know they need to know him. They're looking for something. They won't call it Jesus, but they're looking for something, that hope that fills the void they have. And I'm not suggesting we just walk up to somebody and go, do you know Jesus? And they go, no. And you grab them, throw them over your shoulder and carry them to the church. Okay. Literally, I'm not encouraging that. Okay. Unless you're Tim Strunk, then you could probably get away with that. Okay. If Tim walked up and said, you're going with me over here, I probably wouldn't have much choice in the matter. Right. I'm just, I'm just going with them. It's just what's going to happen. But most of us can't get away with that. Right. 
So I'm not saying we do that, but what do we do? We don't make it difficult for them. In Acts chapter 15, verse 19, when they're talking about this issue in the early church that you can study for yourself there in the text, the, the whole conclusion they come to is if people are moving towards God, don't make it difficult for them. If people are desiring to know God, don't make it difficult for them. We don't get in their way. We encourage them on their way. We encourage them to know Jesus, who is the way. What I'm saying is sometimes we end up getting in the way by complicating it. Not necessarily us per se, but Christians in general. An example of this would be we made it more for a long time about what you wear to church and then just being happy that someone came to church. But Christians made it more about what you wear to church than actually just attending and being a part of a local church that you could come to know him and grow in Christ. Obviously, sharing our faith one-on-one is number one. That's what we desire to do. That's the best way that we can get others to Jesus is for us one-on-one to share our faith with them. But for whatever reason, if you don't have an opportunity or maybe you don't have that chance to share Christ with them, you don't have the time to sit down and really invest in a conversation, maybe the first thing you can do with the hope that that would lead to sharing your faith with them one-on-one down the road. Maybe the easiest thing you do is just invite them to a church service. Just invite them to come with you. And now here's the thing. We don't invite people to go to church to sit with someone else. We invite people to our church to sit with us, to be with us, to join us. And so what does that mean? Just like these men were consistent to being involved and doing the work, we as followers of Christ, we are committed and faithful to being a part of what God is doing in the church so that we can invite others to join us along the way. So we help others get to Jesus. We don't get in their way. Another thing we could do is we help others to grow in Jesus by getting them plugged in. We help others to grow in Jesus by getting them plugged in. Once we know Christ, our journey doesn't stop there. Once you become a Christian and become a follower of Christ, that's not the end of it. That's just the beginning of your journey. We can begin to grow our deepen our relationship in Christ with other believers. And it's so vital. Knowing Christ is number one of importance. It's the most important decision you'll ever make in your life for all of eternity. But second to that, I would encourage you to get connected to a local church, to get plugged into a local church with other believers that can walk with you and encourage you. Because I'm telling you, we all go through difficulties and we need each other to journey through this life, to pray with us and encourage us during difficult seasons. Over the last year, many believers were that were consistent or semi-consistent in church attendance, started staying home due to health concerns, which is understandable and totally their personal convictions. I completely understand over the last year, year and a half, why people, individuals have said, you know what, just for my own health concerns, I just need to stay home right now. That is absolutely fine. We don't judge or condemn anyone for doing that. That's their personal conviction. That's why we record the services and stream them later online so people can get connected to the service. However, there's also been a trend over the last few years of believers that for one reason or another have stopped attending church. And so what can we do about that? To let them know that church is for everyone, even those that used to go to church but haven't been in a long time. Then we go to them, we encourage them to get connected to the church that they might grow in Christ by getting plugged in. Uh, Something exciting that is going on here in the month of September, it's a national thing. It's called National Back to Church Sunday. Some of you may have heard of this. Uh, This year, uh, the actual Back to Church Sunday is September 19th. And so we put our church on that map that they have. So if somebody searches for that, they can find a local church that they can attend. And I love the theme of Back to Church Sunday. It's literally this, hope lives here. I love that. And there's going to be some messages we do, a series around that time. They're going to be talking about 
what kind of hope can we look for and look to in Christ? And how can we endure this, the craziness of our lives at times, but find hope to know there's something more? And so I believe it may be a great opportunity for you to encourage. We're going to be talking more about this in the weeks ahead and putting some things out there that you can even give them, some handouts and things. But it's a great opportunity for someone that maybe used to go to church but hasn't been to church in a long time. We would invite them out. Somebody that's not ever been to church. Man, church is for them. Church is for everyone. And I know that, that September 19th is the day of the Back to Church Sunday, the official day. I know that I think that's actually the ladies' retreat Sunday, if I'm thinking right. And I know that that's kind of a conflict there. But I want to encourage you. The Sunday we're going to do this, it's just a normal Sunday. Somebody, are you going to do like big crazy things? Nope, we're just going to have church. Because what we want to do is let people know that when they come and they visit, they're not getting a show and, a, and something in front of them. They're, they're just taking part in the normal church that we are a part of. So when they come the next week and the next week and the next week, it's not like, oh, this is really different than what I saw the first week. And we just want to be the church and just worship together. So if you know someone that knows Christ but hasn't been in church, maybe because of originally because of COVID concerns or different things or different health concerns, Maybe they just haven't been to church in a long time because they grew up in a church that was more about what you wore than going to church with the right heart. And they focused on the wrong things and that just left a bad taste in their mouth. Whatever it is, this would be a great Sunday to invite them out. Now, obviously, I think next Sunday is a great Sunday to invite someone out, but I think that's true every week. Uh, the next Sunday is always the best Sunday to invite somebody out. But, but this National Back to Church Sunday, maybe that would be a great time to prayerfully consider God opening the conversation that you can invite someone out. The truth is we have such an awesome opportunity to not merely invite people to church, but to invite people into a relationship with Christ. And we get to be a part of that. When you are talking to someone and want to invite them out, share with them that you don't want them to just come to a church service. You want them to come to sit with you and explain to them or express to them how being a part of the church has changed your life. How being a part of a body of believers has encouraged you through difficult times. And that's a way to encourage them as well. And so this morning, we got a lot of things going on. Um, we're so excited for all God's doing. We're going to have communion in just a little bit here and some other things we're going to do. And so, but I want to do this. I want to spend some time in invitation this morning. I want to spend some time in prayer. And we're going to have the band come, and they're going to lead us in a song of invitation. And as they do that, I just want to ask you to begin praying now where it is that God is going to open a door of opportunity for you to invite someone to join you, to sit with you, and to let them know that church is for everyone as we desire to see people's lives impacted for Christ. Father, we thank you so much for this morning. And Lord, we thank you for this opportunity we have to gather and to worship you. Lord, I pray that as only you can, that you would affirm these things in our hearts and minds. Lord, that you would lead us and guide us into conversations and opportunities. Lord, maybe this week we're not going to have the time or the opportunity to go in depth into sharing Christ with someone. Maybe that just won't work out with the time we have on break or lunch or whatever. But I pray if we do have an opportunity that at least we can invite them to church. And I say at least, Lord, it's not the least we can do, but Lord, I feel like it's something we can do that's simple and direct and to invite them to get connected to a local body that we believe you're moving in this church. And we believe that you are leading people and guiding people and strengthening and growing people and that you are doing great work in this body. And Lord, not because of me as the pastor or Pastor Greg or the praise team or some program, all those things are just an overflow of what you're doing in the hearts and minds of your people. And I pray that everything we do as a church would put you front and center. It's not about us. It's about you. So I pray that you would glorify your name in all that we say and do. 
I pray that you have been glorified. Father, again, as we worship you this morning through a time of invitation, prepare our hearts for communion. Prepare our hearts for what you're going to do in our lives this week. And thank you, Lord, for that carrying faith, that example that we can follow, that maybe our names will never be remembered, but, but our impacts for your glory would be resounding throughout all of eternity as we just consistently and faithfully do what you've called us to do, even in the mundane, even in the routine, even in the everyday, to just consistently keep our eyes on you and to give you the glory for the things you do. Father, we love you, and we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand to your feet this morning? As we have a time of invitation, a time to respond. If you'd like, you can come forward and bend a knee here at the front and just spend some time in prayer. Uh, Maybe as an individual, a couple, a family, maybe they're in your seats. You want to just begin to pray and ask God to affirm these things we talked about. Whatever God is doing, would you just give him control now? Or maybe you need to know Christ. Maybe right there where you are, you would say, Lord Jesus, I believe that you died on the cross for my sins. Would you save me from my sins? And just grant me eternal life as I give my life to you. Whatever God is doing, would you respond as we spend some time in meditation?